All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to go ahead and find your place, we will go ahead and get started. Can you hear me okay, Janice? Good. Hey, uh, before we begin tonight, just a little uh, personal note. Um, some of you may have heard that our uh, granddaughter, uh, our granddaughter, our daughter-in-law, Jamie, uh, uh, got involved in an accident yesterday in front of the library, and that little guy right there was sitting in the back seat, and uh, he is perfectly fine. And uh, some people, yeah, some people may say, well, that's just fate, or that's just chance, or that's just coincidence, or thank your lucky stars. If you want to say that, you say that. What I say is my God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. So anyway, just want to give thanks to God for, for uh, protecting them and watching over them. If we can't give thanks in the good things, how would we ever do it in the bad things, right? So let's make sure when things happen, give God the credit in front of everybody. Give him the credit. All right, if you got your Bibles and you want to follow along tonight, Romans chapter 12 Verses 4 through 8, uh, this will be our third lesson in this uh, section of Scripture. And we're going to finish this up tonight. This will be the gifts, part 3. Let's begin by reading in verses 4 and 5. Paul says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Likewise, or in the same manner, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually, we are members one of another. Now, here Paul is has giving us a metaphor. He's comparing the church to something. And when he chooses his metaphor, he does not compare the church to a, uh, a an army battalion or a team or a club or an organization. And there's a reason for that. You see... You and I, the best we can do with our natural talents and our natural abilities, the best we can ever aspire to is a team or an organization or a club. That's the best we can ever do. But Paul says the church is more than that. The church is more than just something that you can put together through your own efforts and your own abilities and your own talents. The church is a living organism, and he compares it to a human body. And here's the thing, if we're going to achieve this, if we're going to be more than a team or an organization or a club, we have to have more than just our natural abilities. We have to have more than just natural talents. We have to have spiritual gifts. And what God has done, he's graciously given us spiritual gifts. And if we'll step into those and use those, we can be more than just an organization. We can be a true living organism where all the members are, are members one of another, okay? Now, let's read verses 6 through 8 where he lists some of these gifts. He says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now here, Paul lists seven gifts of the Spirit. Now we've covered this a couple weeks ago when we met. These are not all the gifts. 
Paul's not trying to create a complete list here. In fact, there is no complete list as far as we, as we know. He's just giving us a sample of some of the spiritual gifts. And we're going to cover these um, tonight. Now, before I do, I'm going to kind of set the stage here. And here's the first thing I want you to know. I want you to keep in mind that people who have a spiritual gift are not superheroes. Okay, it's not like God gave them some superpower and they're impervious to the doubts and fears and anxieties that everybody else experiences. They're still just a human being. They, they have to deal with all of those same things. So what happens when you have a spiritual gift, you are strengthened in some areas, but you still have weaknesses. And so one of the things that I want to do tonight as we go through these gifts is I want to look at the general strengths or characteristics of someone who has a particular gift, but I also want to look at the weaknesses because they, all these gifts can come with some potential pitfalls as well. Now, last two weeks ago, I'll keep wanting to say last week, but two weeks ago when we last met, we covered the gift of prophecy, and that leaves us six more in these verses that we're going to cover here um, tonight. So I'm going to start out, and we'll just go down through each one of these that Paul gives us. We'll start out with the gift of serving. So what is the gift of serving? Basically, the gift of serving is the ability to see the practical needs in the body and then meet those practical needs. And the key word here, I think, is practical. Okay? Now, I want you to remember about serving. This is something that all Christians are called to do. You remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, that that's, the, that's kind of the... The, the odd thing about the gifts, it's not something that one person has and another person doesn't have. All Christians, for example, should serve one another. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, you're called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom as an, as an excuse to go do what you want to do. Instead, in love, serve one another. So we're all called to serve one another in some capacity. But people that have the gift of serving, they're different. This is not something that they just do occasionally like most people. This is literally a way of life for them. Now, I want to look at some general characteristics of those that have this, um, this gift. The first thing that somebody that has the gift of serving can do is they have this ability to see the needs in the body. Now, what, let me tell you what I mean by that. My wife accuses me sometimes that, that I, I literally can walk by a sink full of dishes and I don't see them, right? I, I, walk through a, I walk by a sock on the floor, I don't see it. Or a dirty clothes hamper. And she says, how can you not? The point is we all see differently, right? We see, sometimes we see what we want to see, but we all see differently. Well, people that have a gift of serving, they see they see the needs. They don't just walk by it. It's like the needs are just jumping out at them. But not only do they see the needs in the body, they have the ability to meet those needs. They don't just have a desire to do it. They have the power to do it. Another thing about these people, and they are, these are amazing people. If you know anybody that's got this gift, they are amazing. They are incredibly reliable. They are just unbelievably reliable. If you want it done, you call them. You don't have to worry about them showing up. You don't have to worry about them uh, getting the job done. They are going to get the ball across the goal line. If, if somebody else don't show up, they'll just do it themselves. They are going to make it happen. They are that reliable. 
I found a, a quote about the people with the gift of serving. It says this, they're the ones washing the dishes after we've gone home. They're the ones putting up the chairs while we crawl over them to get to the exits. We want to be served. They want to serve. And that is an excellent example, I think, of someone. Servers are humble. They're not doing it for glory. They're not doing it for, for recognition. In fact, by serving, they're actually freeing other people up to achieve. They are really amazing people. Now, I want to stop here before we go any further, and I want to reiterate something that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, but it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, Peter said this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now, this is true for all spiritual gifts, but I wanted to point it out right at the beginning. When you have a spiritual gift, God's grace doesn't just give you the desire to do something. He gives you the power to do it. And that is so, it's not just that I want to do it. He gives you the ability and the talents and the stamina to do it over and over and over and over uh, again. Now, someone with the gift of serving, as I said, these are incredible people, but they also come with some potential weaknesses. And I want to give you a few of these. Because they are so motivated to meet the needs, sometimes they'll overcommit themselves. They don't say no easily. And you can you could see that, right? I mean, they want to help. They're not like some of us who sit back and say, well, I hope they don't ask me to do that. They, they don't mind that at all. So they can tend to overcommit. They also can be a poor delegator sometimes because they're just like, they've got the attitude, if you want to get it done right, get me to do it. Right? I'll just, they'll get in and get their hands dirty. That does not bother them at all. So sometimes they can be a poor delegator. They can also be frustrated with others. And this is something I think that's true with all the gifts. When you've been given a gift, whatever that is, sometimes you can look at other people who aren't getting the job done and you can think, well, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they as, as motivated as I am? That's why people with gifts have to remember where the gift comes from. It comes from God, right? It's a grace gift. And you have to remember that, that if he didn't give me this gift, I wouldn't be wanting to do it either. So you have to keep all that in mind. Another potential weakness that somebody with the gift of serving can have is they're so in tune to, to the physical and practical needs of the body that they can sometimes put that ahead of the spiritual, especially their own spiritual well-being. And, and again, I'm not saying they do these things. I'm saying they have to be aware of them. Everybody... Just be aware of those things. And finally, they're not in it for the recognition. They're not in it for the glory. But listen, everybody, every human being needs a pat on the back sometimes. Right? Nobody wants to toil in anonymity. Everybody just needs somebody to say, man, you're doing a good job. We really appreciate you. If they don't get that because they're doing so much work, that can be an issue as um, well. Finally, I want to say this about the people, uh, someone with the gift of serving. It is not uncommon that somebody that has this gift may see it as a lesser gift or they may think, I don't even have a gift at all. They're just, they're just running around helping everybody and working and doing. And, they, and if you said, do you have a gift? They might say, no, I don't really 
I don't really have anything. Now let me, I want to read something from uh, Matthew 20. This is the words of Jesus. Jesus called them, and by them, this is his disciples. This is his followers. This is his children. He called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to me. Do not be deceived. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. God's idea of ministry is the exact opposite of the world's idea of, of, of ministry or rule or administration or whatever the case may be. So don't, don't be deceived. God puts, serving is a very high gift. It's not a low gift at all. It is a very high gift. Now you may say, and, and some people will do this, they'll say, but you know, I'm just so ordinary. I don't really have any great talents, nothing that really sets me apart or distinguishes me. Listen, if that's how you feel about yourself, let me tell you, you are the perfect one that God is looking for. What did Paul, uh, uh, Jesus tell Paul? He says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. The weaker we are, the less talented sometimes we are, the more God's glory can shine through what we do. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay? So, so don't, if you're sitting here today and think, well, I can't sing, I can't teach, I can't preach, I can't do all those things. I, I, listen, God may be, you're maybe just the one he's looking for. He's got a job for you. I don't want to leave here tonight without giving you a few practical ways to serve. Okay? Because this is one of those things that's just all around us. I just put a, I just sat down and made a list of a few things uh, visitation, organ, or helping organize, singing, playing, working in production, ushers, childcare, cleaning, life groups, follow-up. When somebody walks down and makes a profession of faith or joins the church, people need to follow up. We, I know that we have people in the church doing that, but there's always room for more. Lawn care, older people in the church who can. I know that uh, over 50 is already doing that, but there's places like that, sending cards and emails, transportation, getting people to and from places, helping with communion and baptism and welcoming, socializing, praying, giving, making phone calls, working with homeless, social media, mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. Go see Blackie and ask him, are there any kids over there that could, could need an adult to, 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 to feed into their life? I guarantee you he can make you a list right now. I mean, there are just kids dying for that in their life. Social media, repair work, raise money, bereavement, prison ministry, clothing, prepare, just, it just goes on and on and on and on. As I said, don't worry about the gift. Start looking at people. Start looking for opportunities to serve. Okay, the second one that Paul gives us in his list is teaching. Now, teaching is a God-given ability to comprehend and communicate biblical truth. Now, most of us, when we think of teachers, we immediately think of people being able to be good communicators, right? People that can get up in front of people and they can talk and explain things. And that is absolutely a vital part of being a teacher. Listen, 
I don't know how, it, don't, it doesn't matter how much you know, if you're boring, nobody will listen to you. Right? I don't care how good you are. If you get up, I used to know a guy, he was the best guy, a Christian man, worked for my company, and he knew his subject backwards and forwards. And we did, had him do a presentation one time, and it was horrible. We never had him get up in front of anybody again. I've never seen anybody that bad at communicating something that he knew. So you've got to be a good communicator. But let me say, but first and foremost, the world is full of good communicators. Full of them, right? They, they, uh, other religions are full of good communicators. They're everywhere. What has to come first and what is a, the foundational rock to a teacher is the ability to comprehend biblical truth. Let me give you an example. In 1870, a young man, he was 18 years old, he started a Bible study class in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he wanted to teach the Bible. And this young man was a great communicator. I mean, he really was an excellent communicator. Uh, he was assured, he was self-assured, he was very self-confident. Uh, he was a leader. And people followed him at 18 years old. So he starts out this little Bible study class, and they gave themselves a name. They were called the Bible Students. And there was probably, I don't remember, maybe about 20 or 24 of them. Within, now, here's the thing. But this young man, as he started teaching Scripture, he came to find that he had a great difficulty understanding the doctrine of hell. He just could not understand how a loving God could send somebody to hell. So he kind of wrestled with that for a while, and he eventually came to deny that doctrine. Now, let me tell you, once you deny one orthodox doctrine of the Bible, it's just a matter of time before you'll deny the next one and the next one and the next one. And that's exactly what he did. He not only denied the doctrine of hell, he came to deny the Trinity, which is also a hard-to-understand doctrine. Then he denied the deity of Christ, and then he denied the Holy Spirit. But he was a great communicator. Within nine years, he had traveled around the Northeast and he had 30 additional uh, study groups established in seven different states. By 1884, some 14 years later, when he's 32 years old, he began to publish a magazine to kind of publicize his views. Now, that young man's name was Charles Taze Russell, and his magazine was called The Watchtower Announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. That little Bible study in 1870 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, has grown into 8 million Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the doctrine of hell, deny the deity of Christ, deny the Holy Spirit, and deny the Trinity. You see, folks, that is the power of a false teacher. That is the power of a great communicator that doesn't understand the Bible. Now listen... We are exposed in our generation. You, you can go home tonight and get on YouTube and you can listen to teacher after teacher after teacher after teacher. Let me warn you, be very careful. Be very careful. Just because a man stands up and he's self-confident and he's self-assured and he's funny and he's, he's, he looks, man, that guy has to know what he's talking about. No, he don't. That's why it looks like a sheep. That's why they call it a, a wolf's in sheep clothing, because he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He sounds like a sheep, but he's not. 
That's the power of a false teacher. So that's why it's, so, it's not just about the communication. It's about being able to understand biblical truth. Now, let me give you a few general characteristics of a teacher. The, the basic drive behind someone with the gift of teaching is to know and communicate truth, right? Because of that, someone with the gift of teaching is going to be a... They're going to study the Bible. In fact, they're going to love to study the Bible. They don't do it just to get to Wednesday night or Sunday morning, they love the study and just as much as they love the presentation. In fact, I've come to believe over the years this is true about someone with the gift of teaching. Someone that is a true teacher could care less how many people are listening to them. They could care less. They, they, are, they are just as, as content teaching one-on-one -on -one as they are standing up in front of a thousand people. They don't care. It's not about the numbers. Now, now compare that or, or contrast that to Charles Taze Russell, who traveled around, right? He went to different states and started different Bible studies, and he, and he, and he did a, a magazine to, to publicize his views. He's, it was all about him, him, him. See, a true teacher is perfectly satisfied to just sit there and go one-on-one. -on -one. They don't need a big audience. They don't need all that, right? So, so again, be very careful for those that you follow. I was watching a movie the other night, uh, one of the old cowboy movies, uh, and they was on the stagecoach. And, you know, if you ever see those movies, there's always one guy driving and there's one guy with the gun, by the way, which is where we get the term riding shotgun, right? So for all you young people that shout shotgun, that's where you get that from. That was the guy riding shotgun on the stagecoaches. That's what a, the, the guy with the gun looking around, protect. that's how a teacher sees themselves. They, they see themselves as being... It's keeping the church focused on doctrinal truth, freeing up the, the, the uh, people that are exhorters and people that are encouragers and, and shepherds and those kind of free them up to do other things. But they are very focused on doctrinal integrity. Now, what's some weaknesses of somebody with this gift? Well, let me give you the first one. You, if you have the gift of teaching, you have to be very careful that you don't bore people to death with detail. Because you go and you study and you look up all the Greek words and you do all that kind of stuff and nobody cares, right? <laughs> so you got to balance it out with what you think is really, really interesting and what people are going to find interesting. And not just interesting, but helpful. What do they really need to know? Uh, on a more personal level, what they have to be uh, uh, potentially aware of is three things. Number one you got to be very careful of equating knowledge with wisdom. For those of you that don't know the difference between those, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Right? See, I, know, I may know how to build a bomb. That's the knowledge. But then I can use it the right way. Maybe I want to build a highway and I use that to, to blow up a, a mountain so we can, I can use it the right way or I can use it the wrong way. Right? Just because you have knowledge in something don't make you wise. And teachers need to be aware of that. The second is knowledge without application. It, you have to remember, it's not enough to know it up here. you got to get it inside of you. It's not enough to tell other people what they need to do. You need to practice it yourself. And so making sure that you have life application in your own life. And the third thing a teachers have to be aware of is putting facts over people. It's not just about having the knowledge and, and getting up and teaching people. you got to remember it's about people growing and maturing 
and advancing uh, in, 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 in Christ. And, and that, so it all comes down to people. And you have to remember that. It's not just about giving out facts. Uh, number three is exhorting. Someone with the gift of exhortation is someone that encourages believers to mature in Christ and to grow spiritually. Uh, again, I want to make mention of this. This is something, by the way, we should all do. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of the sin. So every single one of us should be exhorting somebody. We should be exhorting our family. We should be exhorting our friends, our, our co-workers. And you can make this. You can do this. So we should all be doing it on some level. But there are certain people that just have a gift to do it. I mean, this is what they are all about. Now, let me give you a few general characteristics. In one word, encouragers, I mean, exhorters love to encourage, encourage, encourage. That's what they're all about. They, they, they are willing to come alongside somebody, and, and it doesn't matter if that person is at their low point or their midpoint or their high point. They're going to encourage that person to move forward in Christ. But here's what I need you need to understand. I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. They don't do this with a simple pat on the back. Okay? That, by the way, is a different gift. They, they're not just going to come alongside and say, you can do it. What they're going to do is they're going to counsel you, and they're going to teach you, and they're going to disciple you, and they're going to encourage you with the Word of God. Okay? Make sure you understand. It's not just about, man, you can do this. They do it through the Word of God. And, that, and by the way, because of that, exhorters always base their encouragement on Scripture. They're always basing their encouragement on Scripture. In fact, someone with the gift of exhortation will spend a lot of time in the Bible memorizing Scripture, meditating on Scripture, because they see that as their tool belt. Right? If you go to a job, you want to have the right tool for the job. So somebody with the gift of exhortation will memorize Scripture, and they'll know all these different things. So when they go into a situation, they've got the right Scripture. They've got the right tool to pull out at the right time. So they're very, uh, they're, they're all about Scripture, uh, exhorters are, and about people, but they want to make sure they exhort with that. Now, they are happy to, I'm not saying they will not help people physically, but when they go into a situation, they're, in their mind, they're always looking for the spiritual. Okay? Now, I'm not saying they're going to pass by somebody and not help them, but given the choice, their priority is always spiritual. They see the spiritual need first, not necessarily the, the physical need. Now, I want to compare very quickly. We're going to get to mercy in a little bit, but I want to show you the difference between exhortation and mercy, the difference between these two gifts. By the way, these two make an excellent team. Exhorters and mercy uh, givers make a really good team. Uh, they both want to come along somebody in crisis. They are both quick to try to help people, and they both want to encourage people, but their approach is very, very different. A, a person with the gift of, of mercy empathizes. They'll just come sit down beside you and put their arm around you and hug you, and they may not say a word. They feel your pain. They, empath they just want to be there for you. So they see you where you are. They, they, they're, they're, they, their focus is on how you're feeling now. But the exhorter, he's interested in where you need to go. He, he's interested in how you need to feel. 
And I'll talk about this a little bit later when I kind of show how these, these gifts work together. So again, it's not that he doesn't, he doesn't feel sorry for you they, or that they don't feel your pain or they don't have sympathy for you, but they're, they're not just, it's not just about putting their arm around you. They want to help you move beyond that situation. Now, what are some potential weaknesses? Well, they tend to, they can sometimes oversimplify things. Um, and I'm, I know this because I'm guilty of this. Um, if you came to me, <laughs> if you come to me, I'll just tell you right now what, what's going to happen if you come to me, right? If you come to me and say, I got a problem, let me, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to immediately open the Bible and I'm going to say, you need to do this, Right? And you come back a week later and you say, man, I still got this problem. And I'm like, well, why didn't you do what I told you to do? It says it right there. Just do it. I mean, what's wrong with you? Just do it, right? And then a third week goes by and you come back and I'm like, man, what, do I need to write it on your head or something? It says it right. That's what kind of mercy doesn't do that. And we'll talk about mercy a little bit. Sometimes, though, people that with exhortation that, that are relying on Scripture can oversimplify things. And we forget that everybody's different, right? Every situation is different. You can't just, it's not a formula where you say, just follow that. And all of a sudden, everything magically just resolves itself. Life's not like that. And sometimes exhorters, that's a potential weakness that they think, man, if you just, you know, here's the scripture, just do it. And uh, it don't always work that way. They also can be, not all, again, this is not, um, uh, uh, something they always do, but if they're not careful, they can be poor listeners. And that's because they've already got a solution, right? They want to give you the solution. Why do we need to sit here and talk about the problem? Let's just go straight to the solution, right? So, again, they can sometimes be poor listeners. Um, another tendency they may have is, again, it's all about, if they're not careful, especially if they have success, maybe they, they, they exhorted somebody and encouraged somebody with some scripture and that person was able to move beyond their situation. And that, that person may think, somebody with the exer- gift of exhortation may think, well, wow, that worked great. So the next time they're like, hey, here's what, you know, but it's not, again, it's not a formula. You cannot oversimplify things. Every person in every situation is different. One trap that an exhorter can fall into too is because they want so badly for Scripture to be the answer, that if they run into a situation where the Scripture doesn't quite fit, they can sometimes, if they're not careful, they may use a Scripture out of context, or they might just bend it, just imply just a little bit that it doesn't, you know, that it means something it doesn't quite mean. So again, it's just something they need to be uh, aware of. All right, three more to go, and I'll try to make these fairly quick. Uh, the first, the uh, one we get to next is giving. Giving is just what it should be. It's the ability to give of your resources. That could be money. It could be time. It could be other things. To do it cheerfully, wisely, and generously to meet the needs of the, of the body. Again, let me say it again. This is something that all of us should be doing. There's not a Christian in the body that should not be giving in some capacity. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor do an honest work with his hands so that he can have something to share with anyone that's in need. That is a, a prerequisite for Christians. We should be givers because our Father in heaven is a giver. And we should be, the apple shouldn't fall far from the tree. If we're true Christians, we should all be 
givers, but there are certain people that just have a gift of giving, okay? Now, what are some general characteristics? Well, one thing I've noticed about these people, we all say this, but these people really believe it. We all say things like, well, everything I've got belongs to God. You ever heard that before? We all say that, right? You know, everything I got, I'm just, I'm just renting it for a little while. And we all say that, and then we hold on to that dollar with everything we, we got, right? <laughs> These people really believe that. I mean, they really view everything they have as, it's just temporary. I mean, they, they, they're not attached to it at all. And so they actually are living it out by, they're willing to share anything they have, and they genuinely enjoy doing that. Now, let me say this about givers, and, and I think this is a misconception. Some people would think about givers, well, you're, they're just people that's got a lot of money, and they just go through, and they're just throwing money out, right? Just, just That's not it at all. In fact, someone with the gift of giving is not an impulsive giver. Not at all. In fact, they are generally financially conservative. They avoid wasting money. They, they, they are good stewards with what God has given them. If you read any parable that Jesus told about stewardship, it always turns out you're a good steward, he gives you more. You're a good steward, he gives you more. You're a good steward, he gives you more. If you, if you do a lot, if you, do, if you take care of a little, I'll give you a lot. These people are good stewards. They're, they're, they spend their money wisely. They save their money wisely. They invest their money wisely. They're, they don't believe in waste. They believe in being a good steward because they know that that's how God is going to bless them and allow them to do what they want to do, which is give. Um, they regard conserving resources as allowing them to do, you know, Pastor Henry a few weeks ago started the little pour jar right in your house. You conserve, but you're conserving for what? A reason to give it away. That's what people with the gift of giving do. They, they're not just out willy-nilly, just anybody, anytime, anything. No, they conserve their resources so that they can give it in a timely manner when the Lord leads. They have great respect for accountability. Okay, I mean, they, they again, they're good stewards. They, they believe in accountability. They are, have no trouble with staying out of the limelight. They're not looking for glory and honor like the people that serve. They're not looking for that. Um, they are perfectly fine giving uh, anonymously and avoiding uh, recognition. At the same time, they have no trouble getting involved one-on-one. -on -one. Okay? They're happy to write a check, but that's not all they do. They, if they see the need, they will get involved and not give not just of their money, but they'll give of all their resources, their time, their home, uh, those things as well. Now, what are some potential weaknesses for somebody that has this gift? Well, believe it or not, if they're not careful, they can get tight. That's kind of, that sounds kind of crazy. But sometimes their effort to reserve, you know, it, it could be something like this. You know, they're, they're, they're so, they get so wrapped up in conserving that they're driving a 1927 Oldsmobile, right? Held together with duct tape and, 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 and safety pins. Um, or, or something along those lines. Are you with me? You, you, they they want to give it away so much that they don't take care of their basic needs or, or their, their too uh, spendthrift or conservative. Uh, givers, people with the gift of giving can react negatively to pressure. 
they already want to give. If you try to make them give, they're like, why, why are you trying to make me do that? I want to do it. You don't need, so they can react negatively to that. They're also quick to judge poor stewardship in others. And again, this is a weakness, and I pointed it out in several others. When you have a gift and you want to do something, when you see people that don't want to do it, you're quick to judge. Does that make sense? That's why you always have to remember the gift you have is a gift of grace. God gave that to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. He gave that to you. So you have to keep that in balance. Uh, the next one in our list is leading. Leading is, and I'll, I'll talk here the difference in a minute about leading and administration, but a leader in the church or someone that has the gift of leading is someone that has a, a godly vision, not just a vision, but a godly vision and the ability, the ability to influence others to pursue that uh, vision. Now, what's some general characteristics? Those with the gift of leadership have the ability to move others or sway others to think rightly, biblically, and godly in all uh, matters. Most leaders, you, would, you could imagine this, will tend to gravitate toward the point position in ministries or in churches, right? So you would expect Pastor Henry, for example, uh, or, or Pastor Chuck and others, you would expect them to have a gift of leadership. You, you would expect them to be able to stand up and say, follow me. And we would follow them, right? That's what the gift of, of leadership does. Others tend to have confidence in them. And trust in their uh, abilities. They are entrepreneurial. They're willing to take risks to see the kingdom of God uh, advanced. And when needed, they are well equipped to lead others through a crisis. There is no doubt in my mind that Henry Jones has the gift of leadership. Because I've seen him check those boxes over the years with all of those um, things. Now, let me just real quickly, as we did with exhortation and, and mercy... What's the difference between leadership and administration? Well, it's a pretty simple thing. People with the gift of administration are typically more task and detail-oriented. Leaders are more visionary, right? They'll, they'll, they'll develop the plan and get the plan together, and they'll motivate everybody, and they'll delegate and get everybody working. But then there's people that's got the gift of administration, which is a spiritual gift, and they can just get down in the details, and they can get it done. They can say, well, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and we need to do this. And, 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 but people that with the gift of leadership, they're more concerned with the overall uh, well-being of the plan or the, or the vision that they're trying to accomplish. Finally, the gift of mercy. We talked about it a, a little bit earlier. People with the gift of mercy, and by the way, this is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift. Okay, The gift of mercy, of mercy is the ability to sense hurt and pain in other people and then respond to that with compassion, okay? As I said earlier, this is a gift, another gift that we all should have, right? Luke 6, 36, be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. We should all practice mercy. We should all try to be merciful, but there are some people that just have this, this gift in spades, I mean, they are just excellent at it. What are some general characteristics? Well, they have the ability. We, we always say this. It's an old saying, right? Have you ever walked a mile in another man's shoes? But they, they can do that. 
they, for whatever reason, they can empathize. They can just, they, they see how you feel. They, it's almost like they feel it themselves. And they make a difference in the lives of hurting people. They come alongside you and they put their arms around you and they just are there. Right? They're not trying to preach to you. They're not trying to encourage you. They're, they're encouraging you, but they're not necessarily doing it with words. They're not necessarily doing it with scriptures. They're just there. They're just alongside of you. They are not judgmental at all. People with the gift of mercy don't say, well, you know, if you'd, if you'd, if you'd have just done this, you wouldn't be in this situation. Or if you'd have just, they're not like that at all. They, they don't, that's not about what came before or what's coming after. It's about the moment. And, and that is an amazing gift to have. They do not take sin lightly. Now, let me make sure you understand that. When I say they're not judgmental, I'm not saying they don't take sin light, uh, that they take sin lightly. They don't. Not somebody else's sin. But they just have the type of spirit that is sensitive, and they have an awareness of their own weaknesses that just allow them to empathize with other people. Uh, people with the gift of mercy are attracted to people in distress. You know, I, I said years ago, I, I don't know how many of y'all over the years have really ministered to other people, but how many of you that have can raise your hand and say, that's a messy business. Getting involved in other people's lives is a messy business. It's a messy business. People with the gift of mercy, it doesn't bother them at all just doesn't bother them at all. They, they're attracted to that. They run to the people that most of us tend to run away from. Uh, by the way, I believe this. Believers who have the gift of mercy are prayers. They pray. To them, prayer is an expression. It's what allows them to that, that empathy and the sympathy and compassion they feel. It's what allows them to take that to God and pray for that person. So I think most of your prayer warriors are, are people with that gift of, of mercy. Now, what are some weaknesses they have? Well, these should be pretty obvious. If they're not careful, they allow other people to become dependent on them. Right? Again, if you've ever been involved, people can attach to you real quickly. And uh, there, there's that. That's a potential problem. Sometimes they, there's a tendency to try to rescue people who don't want to be rescued. Uh, they also have a tendency, if they're not careful, to take up other people's offenses. And sometimes they avoid confrontation when confrontation is needed. See, they're not there to get in your face and say, this is what you need to do. But sometimes you need to get in somebody's face and say, this is what you need to do. That's not them. They tend to uh, avoid that. I, I want to close with this because I just think, this is what makes this, and I want you to see this. This is why it's so beautiful. And, and I, I'm not going to go on next week or the week after and, and cover all the gifts. That's not my point here. But what I want you to see is what God has done. I want you to think for a moment, somebody that's down on their luck. They, they, they got a broken marriage or maybe their house is burned down. Do you see how each of these play a part in somebody like that? Let's take, for example, somebody that's maybe their house is burned down. So somebody comes along with the gift of mercy and they just sit beside them and hug them and hold them and say, I'm here for you. I feel your pain. By the way, they need that, don't they? But somebody else comes along with the gift of giving and says, hey, I, I know you need a place to stay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent you a place and, 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 and writes a check and takes care of their practical needs. 
The, the, somebody else comes along with the gift of serving and jumps in there and, and, and finds out what they need and gets food to them and makes sure they got a place to stay and make sure this needs met and all of this. And then somebody with exhortation comes to that person and what they're saying, and you think, well, what is exhortation? Well, come on, man, they need to be encouraged, don't they? You don't need somebody, yes, you need somebody to hug you and, and, and empathize with you, but you also need somebody to say uh, things like this. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You want to pick their head up and get them looking ahead. That's what the exhorter does. See, it's a beautiful thing. When the gifts of God are working in the body, they're all doing different things. They're all meeting the needs of that person, and that's how the body is supposed to work. Okay, I'll close with this. Next week, I'm going to be gone, going out of town, and I have a very... Very special guest. Um, I have searched high and low. Uh, I went to Chuck and he he backed out on me. So then I had to really go go looking. <laughs> but I have searched high and low to find just the right person next Wednesday night to stand up here and teach to you. So I'm not going to tell you who it is. You're going to have to come and find out who that person is. But it is this is a it's the perfect person to be here uh, next Wednesday night. Let's pray, Father. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you, first of all, for the body that you created as a living organism, that we are members one of another, that we rejoice when another rejoices. We, we, we cry when another cries. We feel the pain of one another. God, thank you. Thank you for, for putting us here at River of Life into this wonderful situation. And God, I just pray that in the days to come, in the weeks to come, you'll just begin to, 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 to unveil your gifts in this church, that people who maybe didn't even know they had one will begin to walk in their gift, that they'll begin to pick their eyes up and look for people whose faith needs strengthening and start asking that question, how can I help? And God, use us, use us. We have such a short time here to make a difference, God, and and. And I, I know I want to walk in your gift. I know so many others here are walking in their gifts. Uh, Father, just, just pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit through the gifts on this body. And let us be more than a club, more than a team, more than an organization. Let us be the body of Christ. Let us be the body of Christ. Let us see things in this church. Let us see the church operate the way you, as close as we can get to it. We know we're not perfect. We know we're going to make mistakes. But Lord, I know I want to see it. I know so many in this church. We want to see the church operating as close to your body as we possibly can. And that's only going to come through you, Lord. You are the head. And we ask you tonight to do this thing in Jesus' name. Amen.